the economy is very much dependent upon these measures to ensure that we retain a level of social cohesion in Australia. You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to a new COVID-19 update of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. The federal bill for the COVID-19 stimulus package passed both the House of Representatives and the Senate on Monday night, so Monday the 23rd of March 2020, and received royal assent straight away the next day on Tuesday the 24th of March. The bill saw some minor amendments, but basically passed both houses without any objection. But the way the bill calculates the cash boost is quite different to the way we originally thought it would work. Bob Deutsch, Senior Tax Counsel of the Tax Institute, will walk you through the details. We spoke yesterday morning, so the 26th of March, online via Zoom for obvious reasons, but Bob didn't have a mic or a headset yet, so just called in through his mobile phone. So the audio is not great, but hopefully next time we got that one sorted. So here's Bob. The bill passed. I understand it passed yeah. on Monday night and passed both yes. the House of Representatives and the Senate in one go. That is quite yes. unusual, isn't it, for a bill to just pass through House of it Representatives is, and Senate in one go? It is hugely unusual and normally there would be a lot of debate, argument, particularly in such a large spending package, but because of the emergency crisis nature of what we're dealing with. Both sides of politics were in agreement and the bill passed almost without amendment. I know you're curious to know what the amendments were quite candidly. I can't tell you that because I don't know, but um, they would have been very minor matters. They certainly weren't anything of substance in relation to any of the numbers or any of the measures that the government had put forward. But also a shout out to the opposition for letting it all pass. I think that the opposition did very well in cooperating, but it would have been political suicide for them to do anything significantly other than that. They, they could have requested some more amendments and delayed it by a few hours, but it wouldn't have achieved a great deal and it would have been seen negatively by the public. I think the, the public needs these measures passed. I think Labor recognises that it's in their interests to ensure that they cooperate as fully as they can with getting these measures through. The yes. same sort of thing happened, incidentally, back in 2008-9 when the roles were reversed and Labor put forward a rescue package as a result of the global financial crisis. Kevin Rudd. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what happened, but whether the House and the Senate did everything in one night or not, I couldn't tell you, but I can assure you that it was very rapid and the coalition similarly supported the proposals that Labor were putting forward for much the same reason. They would have seen it as their own political suicide if they got in the way of what was clearly an important package to rescue large swathes of the public that were being um, put into a position where they would be effectively destitute 
if uh, these measures weren't passed. As it is, a lot of people are in pretty bad situations, but they're certainly better off than they would have been if, if nothing had been passed. At least the people queuing at Centrelink have something to queue for. Can you imagine if those bills wouldn't have been passed? They have nothing to queue for. They would have been out of the job, out of work, no um, income, and still having to pay bills. So it's good that this has been passed. The newspaper said only the bare minimum of members of parliament and the Senate yeah. attended to pass the vote. What is the bare minimum? Do we need 50% of the parliament and Senate present or 75? What's the bare minimum? I couldn't tell you the bare minimum. I, I don't know off the top of my head. What I do know is that they do have a pairing arrangement where they pair up members of one side of politics with a member of the other side of politics and then They don't all have to attend. So if you've got, you know, just to make up some numbers, if you've got 77 versus 75, technically you only need, if you do a pairing arrangement, you only need two people there because that's the majority. But I'm sure that that's not the bare minimum. There, there would be a constitutional requirement, I'm imagining, for a minimum number of parliamentarians to be in attendance for a vote to be taken, but it wouldn't be anything like the full contingent. And because of the coronavirus problem, the government and the opposition agreed that they would reduce it to the bare minimum. So what measures does the bill cover? I assume it covered the 50% cash bonus. I assume it covered the instant asset write-off and the investment incentive. It covers all those things. It covers access to superannuation. It's 10,000 up to 30 June 2020 and then 10,000 thereafter. So I guess it could be as soon as the 1st of July. But I can say a bit more about that as well in a moment if you want. But uh, there are other measures that have been passed um, as part of the bill, including, as you say, the investment allowance, the cash boost for employers, all that is part of it. So shall we start with the cash boost? Because especially for small to medium business, that is the lifeline. That is the big thing that yes, everybody is, is counting on. Could you recap the details of that cash boost? I will do my level best. I've actually written this up in a bit more detail now and it'll be released tomorrow by the Tax Institute. Perfect. Um, and I'm quite, I'm quite happy to send you a copy of this, but it is sort of under embargo until tomorrow morning. Yes, After sure. After that, you can move to the bits you want. Look, the, the important elements of this package uh, relating to employers, um, it's a complex deal unnecessarily complex in my view, but the essence of it is this. Employers who have a total turnover of anywhere below 50 million Australian dollars, so 50 million Australian dollars is the key, who are active in a business during the next six months, so from now until September, will receive financial assistance from the federal government of at least $20,000 per employer up to a maximum of $100,000 per employer. Most of that amount, whatever, they, whatever it is that they're going to get, most of it will be front-loaded, meaning that they will receive a large chunk of it 
when I say most of it, that's probably an overstatement, but a large chunk of it will be received by late April. Now, that's the broad thrust of it, but beyond that, it gets a bit more difficult. The other thing that I should mention is that any employer who has a turnover of over $50 million or $50 million does not get this form of assistance. They are just not eligible. Anybody with turnover under $50 million does get the benefit. It also covers not-for-profit entities and charities, so long as they employ people. And $50 million last financial year or this financial year? Because a lot of okay. businesses yeah. will slip who were over $50 million last year will have slipped under $50 million this year. That raises a lot of interesting questions. The bill does cover this in more detail, but the I think the, for most employers, it will be the $50 million figure will be based on their 2019 returns. In other words, the returns to the year 30 June 2019 for the obvious reason that they haven't lodged their 2020 return yet. Now, there will also be instances where 2019 returns will not have been lodged. I believe then they will go back to the 2018 year. Now, that raises all sorts of interesting questions along the lines of what you've just mentioned. What happens if you're over one year and under another year? There will be some organisations that will be in that situation. It's unclear as to exactly how that's going to be resolved. But for the vast bulk, it will be based on the 2019 figures, the 50 million. Now, the detail gets a bit more complicated, but let me put it to you this way. There are, for all employers who are eligible, there are two periods that we are looking at. The period up to 30 June and the period from 1 July to basically 30 September. Now, Without getting into too much detail about quarterly and monthly lodges, the essence of it is is that if an employer lodges monthly, in other words, they do a monthly BAS or IAS, or IAS, they will look at essentially the month of March 2020. And the employer will get the amount of tax that has been withheld from ordinary salary and wages as disclosed in the employer's relevant statement times three. I must say I hadn't fully appreciated when we last spoke the times three. It's really important to understand this because that's how they're front-loading. They are trebling the amount they are going to give you as a result of your March 2020 statement. So to give you an example, if you have a medium-sized employer that has a tax withheld amount for March 2020 of $15,000, just to pick a number, they will receive upon lodging their business activity or IAS statement, they will receive by around the 28th of April or thereabouts, $45,000. That's because it's the 15,000 tax withheld times three. So that employer will then get $45,000 at April 28th. Now, for the next month, that employer will get $5,000. 
that's all they can get at that stage because there's a cap. They will get $5,000 because that's all they can get in their $50,000 for the first six months. And they will receive that additional $5,000 upon lodging their April bats. So that'll be towards the end of May. And for June, they will get nothing. Yes, because they had such a strong front loading at the start. Somebody else who might have had less front loading in March might still receive something for the June IAS. That's correct. Now, the next point is that, and this is not well understood, and I didn't understand it until I read the detail of the legislation, for June, July, let me correct what I just said. They will get something for June because they're going to give you an extra amount in there. So for June, July, August, and September, you will get 25% of the total that you are entitled to in the first six months. So this particular taxpayer has already got 50,000 or will have received 50,000 for the first six months. Therefore, he, she, or it is entitled to another 50000 in the second six months. We divide that 50000 by four, that's $12,500, and each month, June, July, August, and September, he, she, or it will get $12,500, and that's how they get their $100,000. The important thing to understand, which I hadn't appreciated, is that the second phase payments have nothing to do with the amount of tax that is paid, sorry, the amount of tax that is withheld in the second half. It's all based on the first half. The second half payment is just a quarter in each month of the total that you're entitled to in the first phase. So there's one important consequence to that, and that is that if you have an employer who's struggling like mad to make it work and gets $50,000 because they're quite a large employer, so they might have half a dozen employees. They get $50,000 cash boost in the first half. They get to about the middle of the year and they say to themselves, look, this is too much. I can't cope. I'm going to sack three employees because I have to. They still get the $50,000 in the second half, even though their tax withheld in the second half will be significantly lower because they have removed three employees from their books. Okay. Something I hadn't appreciated. Just to quickly recap, whatever payers you go withholding, you do for March 2020, you receive that time three sometime in late April. And then in May, it's 50% of pay as you go withholding, you do up to 50,000. In our example, there was just a gap of 5,000 left. So for May, it would just be 5,000. Then for June to September, whatever you received in March, April, and May, that you received 25% of that in June, July, August, and September. That's correct. Subject to one thing, you may actually get two payments in June. In our example, you don't because you've used up all your first half in the May bad. But if you change the numbers a bit, you could actually end up getting a payment 
what I call the first phase. You can get patent in March, for March, for April, for May and for June. And then in the second half, even though in the second charge, you get a payment for June, July, August and September. So for March is three times of whatever withholding you do, then April, yep. May and June is 50% of the withholding you do up to your total cap of 50,000. And then mm -hmm. in June to September, you receive 25% in each month of the total you received for the first six months. So you basically receive the same again. Whatever you received in the first six months, you receive again for the period June to September. Yes, just one point of clarification. You said in April, May, June, you get 50% of the tax withheld. Yes, up to the cap. No, you get 100% of the tax withheld up to the cap. Oh, really? Okay, I'm glad you yes. clarified that. Yep. It's not 50%. We shouldn't really call it the 50% cash boost anymore then. No, just a cash boost now. Okay. We've dropped all that. <laughs> okay, yeah. dropped the 50%. Let me, let me give you another example. Because okay. This example may, may make it a bit clearer. This is the one that's actually in my paper going out tomorrow morning. A diff slightly different example. This time, same sort of thing. It's an employer who's eligible, runs a business, employs six people, The tax withheld for March 2020 is $9,100 instead of that bigger figure that I had last time of $15,000. This is actually a better example, I think. So how much does the person get in March? $27,300. Correct. And they'll get that at the end of April sometime. How much do they get for the April bands? They get it at the end of May. It'll be $9,100, the tax withheld. For May 2020, received at the end of June, they'll get 9,100. Assuming that they are withholding that amount of tax still. And then for the June 2020 period, they get $4,500. Why $4,500? Because that's all that's left out of the first phase 50,000. Yes, because they're hitting the 50,000 now. That's right. They've got 2739191. That adds up to 27375 for each of June, July, August, and September. Total that they've got is 100,000. And this employer has six employees. If they let employees go in April, May, or June, and their extra pay as you go withholding goes down, then of course also their cash boost will go down accordingly. But if they hold the six employees up to the 30th of June and hence have the withholding we just discussed, and then let yep. people go in July, yep. August, or September, then their second phase cash boost won't be affected. Correct. So that means we will probably see a big wave of redundancies again coming in July. Well, I hope... <laughs> we are hoping that by July we are through the worst and things are looking less bleak. That's what I think the government's hope and expectation is. I know Scott Morrison mentioned six months, which would take us through to September, but I think there is a glimmer of hope that we'll be over the worst of this before the end of June. 
that's not to say that it'll be over, but we'll have seen the curve that they keep talking about bend downwards significantly and employers will look more optimistically into the future. And an employer who's got six employees, he's going to want to keep going. He's going to get his $50,000 in the scenario we've just painted anyway. So he might think to himself, well, I'm going to hold on to these employees so that when this is really over and everything kicks in big time, we hit I'm the ground running. Yeah, I'm set. I've got all my employees. I've got the staff that I've always had. And I'm ready to serve the, the biscotti as I used to. You know, I think that's the hope. But, you know, certainly if you wanted to game the system, I guess if my understanding of all this is correct, and I do want to caveat everything with saying that all this is moving very quickly and I'm not 100% sure of everything I'm telling you, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty comfortable that this is what the rules, this is the result of the rules. You know, you could game the system to sack everybody on the 30th of June. The only caveat that I'd put on that is that you still have to remain active. Now, we don't quite know what that means, but the legislation does use that term of remaining active. In other words, you've got to still maintain the business framework and the business structure. You can't just close up and say, well, I'm out of business. You can't cancel the rent and move out of the uh, premises, etc. You might That's have right. to still have the doors closed because there is a, a complete lockdown, but your business is still there. Yeah, that's right. Now, now, that's it in a nutshell for the quarterlies. For the monthlies, it's a little bit different because they only get they, they don't get the tripling. Yeah, they, they are going to get the monthly bazes. So every time they lodge a baz, they're going to get them out. That's why they haven't, that's why they triple loaded them. So let's take the example you had before with the six employees and who pays 9,100 withholding per month. Let's say he's now a quarterly withholder. So then he would withhold 27,300 for the third quarter, so January to March, and he would withhold another 27,300 for the fourth quarter, April to June. You can't get two lots of 27.3. Then we go over the 50,000. So you get 27.3 and then you get a slightly lesser amount. 27.300 for the third quarter and then 22.700 for the fourth quarter and that will take him or her up to the 50,000 cap. And then you pick up the other 50,000 in the second half, in yes. the second tranche, yeah. So it works a little more a little differently for the quarterly payers. Yes, exactly. And then our quarterly lodger, will he or she then just get another 50,000 payment flat sometime in July, August or September? Or will it then also go to monthly payments like it did with our monthly lodger? I think it'll go to quarterly. Two lots of quarterly payments. Again, one will be 27.3 and the other will be that lesser amount. So okay. he doesn't end up with more than 100000 overall. So at some stage in the second wave, there will be two more payments That's that right. will add up to 50000 That's right. And what about annual lodgers? They don't really apply because pay-as-you-go withholding can't be lodged annually, Wouldn't correct? be annual. Wouldn't yeah, be done. Wouldn't be the longest you can do is quarterly. That is very helpful, Bob, because that is very different to what I've been telling everybody so thank you so much for clarifying well, that. it's different because the legislation is a bit different to what everybody was telling us you know it's not your fault but it's consistent in the overall number it's just not the same 
in terms of when they're going to get each payment. Question, and that is, this cash boost will still be paid even if the business has lodged its best in IAS but hasn't been able to pay its best in IAS, correct? So you're saying that they've lodged their BAS or IAS and they've disclosed an amount of W-2, but they haven't actually paid it yet? Yes, so they haven't paid their BAS, they haven't paid their IAS, they haven't paid their BAS, but they lodged everything on time. I think that's right. So the cash boost is independent of payment of tax debts? Yes. I'm being very tentative because you're making me think how you know, they've tied the calculation to the tax disclosed on the BAS or the IAS, the tax withheld, that and tied it to the amount of tax that's actually been paid. Yes, and I think, Bob, it will work fine even if it hasn't been paid because these payments run through the um, ATO account. And so if the BAS is still outstanding, then these payments basically just pay the outstanding BAS and then only whatever is left over is then actually paid out. Yes, I guess that's right. So, yeah, you'll catch up as we go through these payments. So some employers might need the cash to pay their best and to pay their IAS. That's true. Many, many will be in that position. That's still a huge benefit, but I'll come back to this, but it's a kind of odd way of doing this, in my view. Bob, if I may just quickly add that. I did have two clients who said, I still have enough money to pay the wages, but I don't have enough money to pay my best. Will that affect my ability to get the cash boost? And my answer to them was no, because the cash boost will then basically pay your outstanding best. That's true. That's the circular way in which, in a sense, it'll work. Yes. I just find this a little bit bizarre the way this has been done and whilst I'm wholly supportive of the package, it's odd that, and I think I said this to you the other day, it's odd that we tie the cash boost to the amount of employee tax that is payable on the bears. Some employees, just to give you an example, some employees would have asked their employers earlier this year to vary their PAYG amount, some down to zero, because of their own personal financial circumstances, and you're at liberty to do that under the tax law. There's meant to be penalties if you overdo it, but they're not usually rigorously enforced. But my point is that if somebody's done that, the employer is now going to suffer, because if the employee has varied their PAYG down to zero, that's going to reduce the cash boost. Yes, that's correct. And the no. employee, for example, it's might it's have done that because they are negatively gearing an investment property and hence exactly. already want to exactly. get their cash refund. Exactly. exactly. That's And they do that quite, not infrequently, I shouldn't say commonly, but it happens quite a lot. Why should the employer get a lesser cash boost because the employee has reduced their PAYG amount or requested that the PAYG amount be reduced? To the employer, it's the same cost. It's just that he's paying the money to the employee instead of to the federal government on behalf of the employee. So I don't quite get this linking it to the tax paid. In any event, I would have thought that what we're trying to do here is we're trying to assist employers to hold on to their employees through this crisis. There is no better way, no simpler way of doing that than saying we'll pay a percentage of the employee's wages. 
a la Boris Johnson in the UK. You know, 80% may be something we can't afford, because that's what Boris Johnson has gone for, but we could say we'll cover half the wages. And if we did that, if the federal government just said we'll pay half the wages of employees of firms that have a turnover of less than $50 million a year, it'd be a simple solution that wouldn't require, I don't think, well, maybe it would. I was going to say it wouldn't require people to be queuing up at Centrelink, but I think it would be a more streamlined process than this particular method that they're now adopting. The other thing that I'd say about this particular method is that whilst it's generous in triple loading the front end for monthly returners, it does mean that the first payment is going to be at the end of April. Well, we're now not quite at the end of March. The end of April to some employers in their current circumstances mm, is a long way like away. It feels like an eternity. You know, four weeks normally is not a long time, but right now you've got no revenue coming in because your business has just been shut down, but you've got six employees. To say to them, look, you'll get some assistance, just hang on for a month, well, some of them won't be able to. So, you know, I, I think the plan is a good one at some levels and a very clumsy, complicated and lengthy one in others. Two things, because of course, when these measures come out, you always receive uh, phone calls from other agents or clients asking how to basically be dodgy about all this. The first one is some clients have a couple of dormant companies so far, so now their best agent starts paying wages through those companies. Yeah, yeah what there, measures there are, are in the package to avoid that? There are measures in the package, and they're important measures. They're called loosely they're referred to as integrity measures. Basically, they're an anti-avoidance rule. That's somewhere where they may make some additional amendments, but it's built into the legislation that if you enter into a scheme, the sole or dominant purpose of which is to get a cash boost that you would not otherwise be entitled to or to increase a cash boost that you are entitled to, the commissioner can reverse that cash payment and impose penalties. I think that's what you're alluding to, but yes, it is built into it. And different question, and that is actually not dodgy. It's more just a new company, not in a profit position yet, but has turnover has customers or clients but still not in a profit position yet and hence the shareholder and sole director who runs the business didn't pay himself or herself a wage has now registered for pays you go withholding and will pay your wage will that still count even though the registration for pays you go withholding was done after the 12th of march i don't think so i don't think they get the benefit Okay, so you need to be registered for pay-as-you-go withholding before the 12th of March to qualify. It's a very good question. I think the answer to that is yes, but I'm, I, I couldn't tell you with 100% clarity. Good. And then a very big question that isn't clear yet. I hope you 
can enlighten me on it. And that is sole traders and partnerships. At the moment, the cash boost is only for employers. But what about small businesses where without employees, where they just work in there and hence face a complete loss of their livelihood for the time being? They just have Centrelink. There is not. There is no cash boost. There is nothing coming through the tax system for them. Correct? Or is there a, a beam of light somewhere? I don't know where that beam of light is. I think the answer is they're not covered because you've got to have. I mean, technically, I'm just trying to find provision here. The entity must withhold an amount from the payment under Subdivision 12B, 12C, or 12D in Schedule One to the Tax Administration Act. So the entity must withhold an amount under the from the payment under one of those subdivisions. And I think so that your sole trader would not would not qualify. And also a partner in a partnership without employees. So well, self-employed business people are not covered. Your partners do sometimes pay themselves a salary. I'm not sure that they would go so far as to withhold from that salary. And I'm not sure whether they, in fact, have an obligation to withhold from a partner's salary. I think the answer is they don't. So, mm. you know, it's all going to come back to that withholding. You know what's interesting here? You've just led me to another thought. This is kind of the revenge on the black economy. I hadn't thought of this. Anybody who's been paying cash wages is Goes now empty. going to be sitting there thinking, everybody else is getting a cash boost and I'm getting nothing. And... God forbid they should go to the tax office and say, well, look, hang on a second. I forgot to tell you that for the last five years, I've been... <laughs> you know, you could see uh, the wheels turning. You wouldn't want to go to the tax office and say, um, you know, I should have been withholding all this money because now I want the cash boost. So it's yes. kind of, it's revenge yes. on the black economy. Yes, it's a very good point. But can you see anything when you go through the legislation, can you see anything that distinguishes between businesses that have registered pays you go withholding before or after the 12th of March? Can you see the 12th of March being a cutoff with respect to pays you go withholding registrations? Because we are still before the 30th of March, so companies can still register or businesses can still register for pay as you go withholding and then lodge a March quarter bass with pay as you go well, withholding they, they in do, it. They do refer to the 12th of March. They're not a couple of times. I don't think it actually links back to the registration. That Just point is unclear then at the moment. I think it is. Just to go back to your other point about the integrity measure, I'll just read you this integrity measure. Um, to qualify for the boost, this is just my words at the moment, to qualify for, this is from Section 5, for the cash boost. One of the requirements is that neither the entity, that's the entity who would normally be entitled to the cash boost, neither the entity nor any associate or agent of the entity has entered into or carried out a scheme or part of a scheme for the sole or dominant purpose of achieving any of the following. One, making the entity entitled to the cash flow boost for the period, or two, increasing the amount of the cash flow boost to which the entity is entitled for the period. That's all it says. It doesn't actually say what happens if you do enter into such a scheme, but clearly if you do enter into such a scheme, you're not entitled to the cash boost. Now, this will happen in time later, so presumably you'll get the cash boost, then the commissioner will realise 
you're involved in a scheme and you'll be prosecuted to get the cash boost back. We will see instances of that in years to come when people will have claimed the cash boost when they shouldn't have. So I think we've covered the cash boost. There, is there anything else we need to cover about the cash boost or do you think we've covered that sufficiently? I think we've covered it sufficiently. Then the instant asset write-off and the investment incentive, I think those ones are relatively straightforward. I assume the um, 500 million turnover threshold is based on 2019, just as the 50 million threshold is based on 2019 for the cash boost. Is that correct? I believe that's correct, yes. Are there any sticky points with those two measures or are they as straightforward as I, in my ignorance, assume they are? They're straightforward, more straightforward than what we've been talking about till now, much more straightforward. The thing that is a little bit tricky with all this instant asset write-off business is timing because they keep changing the thresholds and the maximums and it depends on when you're in that cycle. So from the 12th of March to the 30th of June this year, so that's just that brief three and a half, three and three quarter month period that you will be entitled to this very generous $150,000 amount. From 1 June, 1 July, it's going to drop right back again unless they extend it. And before the 12th of March, the rules were different again. So what I'm getting at is that there's a table actually that is presented in one of the bills or one of the explanatory memoranda, I can't remember which, which actually runs through all the different dates and all the different requirements. And there's about eight of them now. So the tricky bit is knowing which bit of the cycle you're in as to what you're entitled to and what you're eligible for. That's my main caveat there is just watch the dates. And then the fourth measure is the uh, super, the $20,000 super you can access 10,000 before the 30th of June and then 10,000 after the 30th of June. Mm -hmm. Are there any caveats we need to look out for yes. or, is, or is that pretty straightforward? Yes. No, look, I think there's problems with that. It's not really a technical problem. I think it's more a policy problem. You know, $10,000 before the 30th of June, $10,000 after the 30th of June doesn't sound like an awful lot of money. And gut instinct would say people are in real difficulty. They shouldn't be allowed to access that sort of money. The problem is that a lot of these people are going to go to some of the larger superannuation funds and queue up for this payment. Now, the government says, give them their $10,000, it seems. The rules of the super fund may not allow for that at that stage. I'm not sure whether the government legislating to say you're entitled to access $10,000 before the 30th of June is going to override anything this in the rules the superannuation might have. Now, that's one issue. The other issue is that if you get a pile of people doing this, you know, suddenly you've got 100,000 people asking for $10,000 each before the 30th of June, 10,000 after, that's going to start to mount up and that will put pressure on the, on share the market. to liquidate assets 
which could be the share market. And some of these super funds have infrastructure assets which are not that easily liquidated. So it kind of makes me think, well, this is a bit of a mixed blessing. I mean, if the share market hasn't had enough problems, they'll have more if there's a run on some of these superannuation funds for these $10,000 payments. Now, I haven't done the maths, but if you multiply 10000 by 100000 a billion dollars. Yeah. It's a billion dollars, um, which would be $2 billion if you, know, you have 100,000 people each claiming 20000 I hope we don't have 100,000 people trying to access $10,000 each because it is a very big number. And then if they're going to do it all over again on the 1st of July, that's twice as big. It's a reasonably large number and it will have an impact. You know, I hope that doesn't all come in before the first or by the first of July. So it's yes. more a, a caveat about the policy. I, look, I, I'm not keen generally on people accessing super for anything other than retirement purposes because we set up a plan to give everybody the ability to retire in a little bit more comfort than they would otherwise have done so. We're now eating into that, but I accept that this is a, an emergency crisis situation that needs some sort of assistance and this seems not unreasonable but the consequences of everybody charging at their superannuation funds to ask for this payment all at once is not to be underestimated. So just to recap so the COVID-19 bill that was passed on Monday basically covered four areas the first one is the cash boost the instant asset write-off, the investment incentive, and the $20,000 access to super, correct? Did it cover those four areas, or are there other areas that I forgot? Well, there are other areas. Guarantees, guarantee of lending to small and medium enterprises. Ah, yes, the 50% guarantee of, yes, you're right. Yeah, I haven't even looked at that, but that's part of it. Okay, so that's the fifth so, measure. I'd say they're the five main ones. I am overall very supportive of the bill or the, the set of bills. I think the government has done an important job and the opposition in securing this, the passage of this legislation because the economy depends for, and I don't want to be overly dramatic, but the economy is very much dependent upon these measures to ensure that we retain a level of social cohesion in Australia. We don't want to see people on the streets without money more than, more than we already have or more than we already had. And these measures are very important in achieving that outcome. Some of them, as I've said, are clumsy and awkward and could have been done differently, but I accept that in a great hurry to deliver a very important package mistakes will be made. We're going to have to live with those mistakes, but it's better than if the government had sat on its hands and did nothing. Welcome back. I forgot to ask Bob about the grouping provisions around the cash boost. So if a business owner runs his business empire through several companies to ring fence one business from the risk in another business, is then each company entitled to a cash boost of up to $100,000? Or are there grouping provisions in place 
to prevent this? Another question that is still open is the one we already touched on. If a company registers for pay-as-you-go withholding after the 12th of March, but before 30th of March, and then pays a wage and pay-as-you-go withholding, do they still qualify for the cash boost? We will try and cover this in another update on Monday. Our regular program, of course, feels very out of place at the moment, but hopefully it will still give you food for thought for the coming month. In our next regular episode, episode 237, Melissa Donnelly of Affinity will talk about marketing strategy and its execution. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Thank you.